Today on the pod, we're joined by Ghani Garko. She's a Toronto or Toronto-based DJ and model. We dive into how she got started on the turntables, the tracks that are in her go-to mixes, and whether or not she takes requests. But before we jump in, my favorite segment, what's in our scrolls? To kick things off, over to you, Clara, because I know you got <laughs> you got some great ones. Well, I'm excited, excited. Um, so starting off, I think we discussed this when it first came out about Brian Johnson, the world famous biohacker who is spending millions of dollars every year to try and get himself to be younger. He claims to have shaved off five years already, I think, off of his like, I guess, the age of his body. I don't know how that's measured, but in any case, he's taking it a step further. He's exchanging blood with his son who I think is about 17 years old in the hopes that that will sort of like help him to expedite this aging in reverse process and you know in researching further discovered more disturbing information like this is not his first blood infusion of young blood he was formerly using anonymous young donors of blood which is probably like worse maybe than just taking your son's blood he's also giving his father blood and his father said and i'm quoting now that like he's basically saying oh it's so great that i like got this blood or whatever and he's like there's a benefit in getting this much volume of him like if you haven't really sat with the article and read it through i can't recommend enough um but basically the sort of like blood transfusion thing i think goes back a few years i guess peter thiel if i'm pronouncing that correctly he was interested in it as well um obviously lots of ethical implications and whatnot but it's just like a very creepy new development from this billionaire biohacker dude that stopped me in my scroll last week or whenever this came out also some really creepy like editorial shots of everyone like i don't know i don't yeah. even know how to describe those photos was i clothed <laughs> like the cullen family Am I clothed? yeah it's like it's very vampiric mm. like i've seen this horror maxi. movie before yeah. yeah, it was definitely a jump scare, but also I think I find it interesting in the backdrop of all of these kind of like quasi pseudoscientific treatments that are like in vogue, particularly among the wealthy, obviously this being like one of the most noteworthy, but then like alongside that there's I feel like a widespread normalization of kind of, you know, cosmetic surgery and, you know, nips and tucks and etc. Uh, this obviously goes to the extreme and is kind of the stuff of horror movies, one might say. Maybe psychological thrillers. Maybe not yeah. like horror movies. But. I mean, I was thinking about it more in the school of like, you know, like people get like the IV treatments, like Kylie Jenner and like Bella Hadid. They get these like IV vitamin mm. treatments and like the vampire facial that like Kim Kardashian and others kind of made famous, like just like incredibly grotesque. Um, have been people died from that from the vampire facial i don't know yeah, but that's sure. like scary i'm just waiting to get the profile on the first person who uh was approved to take or have elon musk's Neuralink chip implanted in their brain <laughs> oh my god the editorial photos on that will be isn't cool. it grimes <laughs> yeah he doesn't have one already uh, this is why we need to tax the rich i know it's not coming with our like debt ceiling negotiations but if there's no taxing of the rich we're going to hear more and more from 
these vampires. The OG blood boy. Yeah. It, yeah. it rubs the lotion in its skin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's something that you can't write, really. And speaking of not writing, I want to talk a little bit about the WGA writer's strike, uh, which is at this point around one month in. And as a quick refresher, the, the WGA is a union that represents about uh, 11,500 writers of film and TV, uh, some of your favorite shows. And you might have seen some funny signs on Twitter, et cetera. Uh, there's a lot to kind of unpack about why they're striking, but I think the crux of it is around streaming and making it as in a kind of middle class livelihood as a writer now is no longer sustainable. Um, and there's kind of a lot to to get through with that for the purposes of time. Well, there isn't a specific article that I want to talk about, at least not as visceral as Clara's Blood Boy. Um, <laughs> but the one thing that's interesting to me is kind of how this will affect consumer behavior, because there's no real end to the writer's strike, um, at least one that we can see as a whole, um, because all these streaming platforms can kind of sit on content that they have already. So three kind of key themes that I'm interested or curious to get your takes on is, as this writer's strike is prolonged is one, potentially a rise in interest in foreign TV. So, you know, we know that Netflix has already uh, increased investment in South Korea for content to be made there, 2.5 bill. Uh, another is TikTok. Are we just going to go further into our phones? You know, in our last episode, we talked about um, a lot of behavior on TikTok is mimicking that of Quibi, where full feature films are being watched in bite-sized clips. And then Clara's favorite, fast TV, free ad-supported TV, home of free V, home of jury duty. Um, so I'm curious to see, we'll see an uptake in all of those, but I'm sure both of you have at least short, quick thoughts on the WGA writer strike and where we're at right now. Well, I was just talking to Sheila, our coworker, shout out Sheila, who was telling me that she had recently watched XO Kitty on Netflix, which is a Korean show. And uh, after watching that, she was recommended like five other Korean shows. So I think like once you kind of dip your toe in the algo kind of just comes to life and recommends you all these other global shows, which has sort of been kind of gaining mainstream acceptance since the rise of like elite on netflix and other kind of shows and remakes from other countries even emily in paris in some ways was like a gateway drug so now that you know america is not producing will we kind of accept the sort of lowest common denominator culture from other you know countries not saying it's bad or all bad but i just think like it's very much tailored to a specific audience and now that everything lives on one streaming service, essentially? Is it kind of like the same everywhere? To your point, Trey, too, I think for a long time, um, the sort of dominance of Hollywood, I guess, I took for granted, at least. And I think as, like you're saying, like streaming takes off and there's sort of like a decentralization of a lot of these, like, where do we need to film? And like, you have access to all the talent in the world, all the IP in the world, like, if they're doing it better for cheaper in South Korea, like sort of what is the answer from Hollywood and like U.S. entertainment in general? And I think that like the writer strike, like they obviously should be striking and like they should be compensated fairly for their work. Um, and I think that, I don't know, it's kind of a 
all to say it's kind of a testament to maybe the state of American entertainment on the whole. Um, and to that point, you know, we talked about like fatigue. Um, and I saw an article about how like IP is the new talent. Like there aren't really any next gen Hollywood actors that can carry an action film the way that Tom Cruise can. And just, I mean, okay, that's some fangirl, fangirl. Well, you but know, okay, can you, can it you is. Just take, can you just take one or maybe three steps back <laughs> and explain what fatigue is? Okay, fatigue is the concept of like Marvel movies are getting beaten to death. Every, like the Super Mario Brothers movie that every piece of IP, intellectual property is getting reaped and sowed ad nauseum over streaming platforms, over movie theater releases, over video games. And it's like, how much can we possibly extract from every single thing that's already popular? Um, and a lot of that, and it's maybe not the fault of the actors, is that, you know, like a Timothy Chalamet, while he is, you know, a darling among some Gen Z girlies doesn't really have maybe the action chops or like it's perceived that he doesn't to carry a big sort of like action blockbuster or like carry a rom-com and get moms in middle America into theaters the way that Harrison Ford can. And he's like 80 something years old in Indiana Jones. You know what I mean? Um, that like the star power factor just isn't really coming out anymore. And that, Instead of relying on star power, studios are relying on IP, which I mean, you can agree, disagree. It puts a lot of onus on like actors to be, I guess, more compelling to viewers, which I don't know. But I thought it was an interesting take as like a corollary to all of this that like, you know, the dominance of certain, shall we say, like well-trodden paths of whatever. But Literally. final take. That's my final take. That's your final take. <laughs> Trey, I need to know what's in your scroll. So I've been reading a lot about peak dupe. Uh, first of all, a, a confession session. Have any of you purchased a dupe of another product? I don't. I mean, I no. buy stuff that's cheap and probably is a dupe, but I don't know it's a dupe. You know what right. I mean? So if you've been anywhere near TikTok in the last like year or so, you've definitely come across dupe culture. So essentially they're cheaper alternatives to expensive products and they kind of fled TikTok and all of these TikTok creators, you know, have their Amazon storefronts, which are curated dupes that they get affiliate um, income from. But essentially dupes have become so proliferated, I suppose, in culture that now brands, mainstream brands are kind of embracing dupes. Uh, so recently L'Oreal tapped multiple sets of twin influencers to make ads for one of its shampoo shampoos uh which is a dupe for a high-end item that looks like one of olaplexes and um whole foods posted a dupe alert video about the dupe snacks it sells which are like organic and gluten-free versions of oreos and coke and like cheez-its and then i'm sure you've all heard of this one lululemon uh, invited customers to a dupe swap where they could trade in their copycat leggings. The Lululemon Align leggings have long been kind of a popular item to dupe. Um, so they could trade in their copycat leggings for a pair of real ones. So I think it's just so strange because while dupe culture originally, I think, was there to you know, satiate people who couldn't maybe afford the higher end versions of the thing, um, what they are getting is like often fairly crappily made versions that have no resemblance whatsoever to the thing. And they are essentially just knockoffs. 
but now there are like knockoffs of knockoffs. So this sort of like counterfeit culture is just everywhere and there's kind of like no end in sight. And now brands are fully kind of embracing it to hawk their maybe lesser expensive products or talk about their offerings. But I don't know, it feels a lot the same as like the iterative uh, IP discussion where it's like, how many versions of this same thing are we going to get before we're all just sick and we want some originality? <laughs> I mean, we're just sick. Yeah, I'm I'm literally sick. Uh, but I was, I agree, like there's kind of a rushing nesting doll of, yeah, duplicates. And I do think there's a ton of parallels to the fatigue, the kind of how far can we stretch this IP with a slightly different alteration because there is kind of a creativity crisis. Maybe it's not necessarily even a creativity crisis. Maybe we're just not putting the funding and effort into people who are doing actually interesting things. But yeah, I'm certainly fatigued with all of the dupe uh, conversation. That's for mm -hmm. sure. I'm over it. Like, yeah. But yeah, I think what's also interesting, like with the Whole Foods example, is using dupes to basically talk about products that are not dupes. Like Whole Foods gluten-free vegan whatever Oreos are not dupes of Oreos. Right. You know what I mean? Like they're not cheaper. They're not more <laughs> delicious. They're just shitty dry biscuits <laughs> that are like meant to be a dupe of Oreo, but they're right. just like a more expensive, shittier one. And this happens though across everything where it's like I get all the TikToks. It's like here's like some aesthetic home essentials you need. And it's some girl's like $16, like whatever, like composition notebook, these like $17 pens that like don't even write well. And then like aesthetic paper clips and all of this shit. And it's like, these aren't dupe. You know what I mean? Where there's like the reverse dupe. Right. Like a more expensive <laughs> aestheticized version of something that's so mundane that I'm like, how much do you need to have taste or feel like you have taste that you have to buy aesthetic paper clips. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to come for any of these girlies next, but at the end of the day, it has to be drawn. The line has to be somewhere. And I'm right. drawing it about the home goods. Yeah, you're drawing it with and the Oreos. With your Sharpie dupe. I'm drawing it with my Sharpie dupe. Well, is that vampire blood guy like duping his son's? He's duping oh his son's <laughs> plasma. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, surely there's a metaphor here to be, to be explained. We're going to dupe ourselves to death. I know. Dupe to silly. Death. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, as always, I'm super interested in hearing what's stopping your guys' scroll. Some great takes as per usual. Um, and I can't wait to dive into part two of the pod. So tune in. Donnie Garko, welcome to the pod. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So you are a model, a DJ. I'm assuming a fan of Richard Kelly films. Is that where the, the name comes from? Donnie Darko? Oh, is that who directed it? Because I honestly didn't even know who directed it. I'm just like obsessed <laughs> with Jake Gyllenhaal. And sometimes I think I'm not real too. So I think we can all we can all relate a little bit to that though. Is that where the is that the genesis of the name? Yeah, so 
I'm definitely into film and definitely like a, not a big nerd. Like I can't say I know the most, but um, when I was like six, 15 and a half or 16, I was also really into Halloween as well. So I changed my Instagram for Halloween because I was like, oh, yeah, that's so cool. Totally, like, totally change your name to something weird for Halloween. Um, and I was just going to keep it for a day. But then it kind of uh, stuck. So it was Gone Girl and Donnie Darko were my vibe at the time. Uh, so I just combined them. And wow. I think they're still my vibe today. <laughs> it sounds like it would become like a niche TikTok aesthetic, like Gone Girl, Donnie, <laughs> Gone Girl, Donnie Darko. <laughs> really? uh, cool. So let's dive in. I'm curious to hear about kind of how you got started uh, in the music space, DJing specifically. So when I was younger, I played instruments just like every kid did in school, like playing like the flute or like whatever I played um clarinet and then once I got to high school I started doing guitar and then I had to stop because I have a deformity on one of my fingers and it just like pained me too much so I had to like kind of stop like I couldn't go as far I don't know chords yet um but I just knew like since I was a kid that I needed to be involved in music in whatever capacity I could be and since that wasn't working out and I didn't know any other instruments I did try to learn piano and I uh got discouraged from continuing but anyways I used to listen to a lot of mixes on SoundCloud. Uh, I would listen to Selection a lot, OVO Sound Radio. Um, I was really inspired by Kei Trinata and like his Boiler Room sets as well. I was heavy into bo watching Boiler Room sets at that time too. And I was like, you know what? I need to go do this because it seems like it's not that hard. And guitar was pretty hard, even though I understand sheet music, but I was like, yeah, like, you know, the finger thing. So I told my mom that uh, when I was 15 and then the following Christmas, um, she got me my first mixer, which was like a Newmark Mix Track Pro 2 or something like that. It was really tiny and you couldn't do that much with it. And I only had Serato DJ Lite because we didn't have a lot of money, <laughs> but I did what I could with what I had. And then I really just wanted to make SoundCloud mixes because I've always been pretty socially awkward and like very anxious around people so like the fact that I'm where I'm at right now is like insane because I'm so I'm still pretty afraid of people but I figured out how to make it work for me how would you like define your style and was it kind of like immediate to you you think like the type of music you play or was it some or has it like evolved over time for instance um I believe that it definitely has evolved over time in the beginning I was very like R&B centric um I would dibble and dabble with dance hall and like SoundCloud rap and this and that um like house Catronata stuff like just pretty much everything I grew up on but I can say over the years I've gotten more into like Bailey Funk and like reggaeton um and just like more electronic music uh because over time going to more parties and like just experiencing the world more like there's it's there's just so much out there that like I can't even name the actual what genre any of like most of my music is at this point because it's just so like all over the place um but in general overall I've, it's always been pretty like open format like I've always been into every genre just not uh I wasn't as well versed in every genre as I am now. Can you tell us when you kind of figured out that you 
you know, gotten something going. Cause I know you've played like some insane events, some crazy parties. I wonder if you can just kind of like name drop a bit of like the things you've done music wise. Um. <laughs> and then, you know, was there a moment for you where it was like, damn, everyone's really into what I'm playing? I think that the first like, oh wow moment was, um, I did Boiler Room, I think I was 18 or 19. I think it was in 2019, but I think my birthday's in September. So I was literally like 18 and I was so, so nervous and it didn't necessarily go the greatest because I was super nervous and um, I wasn't allowed to drink um, because I was underage and it was in New York. So yeah, I was like so nervous and jittery, but like my mom, uh, my boyfriend at the time, my best friend, my sister, my mom's best friend, that's like my aunt, my mom's other best friend, that's like my aunt. And then my ex-boyfriend's best friend, like all came out for me. And I was like, wow, guys, like, this is cool. Cause I, I never, I knew like what goals I had in my head, but like actually putting them down on paper makes it a completely different thing. So when that was something that I had written down like three years prior to, and it became true, I was like, oh yes, here we go. Uh, it, that was a tough time for me though, because there were some people, uh, being kind of mean like saying that like I wasn't ready but I was gonna I tried my hardest to practice like in the upcoming weeks it was very last minute as well and I had just switched over to USBs from laptops so I was like learning something totally new and I still did it but that's why I was so nervous and that's why it's not the best weather room set ever but I'm still glad it happened and I'd love to do another one one day um I think that more so recently that like after that it was kind of just like like went down because I was just like in Toronto doing like whatever the heck um I did like the do-over event in Toronto with um Adidas I did OVO RBC TIFF maybe not TIFF I don't know there were three different uh major brands uh for that event I did that event and I was like oh this is fun this is nice so it was like kind of the boiler room was in maybe like March or something and then it went like a little down and then in the summer things picked back up and then it's kind of just been like up from the, well it has its waves because like I live in Canada once it gets cold there's nothing going on in Toronto but then okay so now sorry I'm going on in rambling but now more so um I get so much more love when I'm in the U.S. versus when I'm here so let's say I'm here and I'm doing a night at like apartment 200. My guest list is like four people. Well, now I have more friends. I have a lot more friends now. <laughs> That's um, a big I have benefit. a new friend group. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're like, the DJ, you can throw people on the list. <laughs> definitely get to some friends, I bet. Mm-hmm. But then opposed to like when I was just in the apartment 200 in LA, like let's say my list was like 35 people, like 40 people. My list for the favela event that I just recently did out there was like, 80 people like it's just like people are so much more welcoming to me and like just less like hating I could say um and less like afraid of me I don't know because I I a little bit of a like you know, local celebrity <laughs> niche internet micro celeb <laughs> like in Toronto and it's like people are afraid of me and think I'm too cool or something sometimes and I'm like bro like just tell me you want to come to the party and I'll put you on those things about a big deal mm -hmm. <laughs> um but yeah feeling that love that I feel 
when I do parties out there, when people see that I'm out there and they're like, oh my God, can I book you? Like that feels really good to me. And when all my friends show up or even like strangers and stuff and they come out just to support, like, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm curious about too, because, well, especially because of your age and I know you're so talented for your age, but like as a young person, the thing on every young person's mind is like, how do I build a name for myself? Um, Mm -hmm. Especially, you know, in our business, we talk to like a lot of influencers who are like, how do I become more visible? How do I work with brands? How do I get noticed more? I wonder if that's ever been like a game plan for you or something you've thought about or like try to plan in a way or if it just happened organically, like, do you have any tips, I guess? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that everything has kind of happened pretty organically. Like I get a lot of questions like that too. And like people asking for advice and um, like, I never did the like hashtagging or like anything. I just posted photos and then it just went up. But it, it also, I feel like another misconception that I just want to touch on really quickly is that I didn't have followers before I started DJing. And I think a lot of people dismiss me and my talent because I have followers and like, I'm a DJ and I'm just like a pretty light skin girl. But like, that's not why, oh, that's not why I became a DJ is what I'm trying to say. I did. I wasn't just like, oh, this is, yeah, I have followers now, I'm gonna do this. Like, it wasn't like that. I think that just doing things like organically and like not trying too hard. Like you should try your best, but like overcompensating to try to get to something, to try to be in a rush, isn't really like the way that life goes because people will see that you're trying too hard and they'll be like, oh, this person's like such a try hard, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. calm down. So I think though, what you're maybe saying and not to put words in your mouth is like you have been always authentically yourself, mm-hmm. which is also not easy for a lot of people. Mm-mm. I wonder in that sense, like how did you, kind of come out so confident and you know just own who you are and like what you're about without feeling like you have to like package it up nicely in a hashtag or like aesthetic or whatever mm-hmm. I think that like so for something like Instagram like I just don't really take it too seriously obviously I want to post that like a good time of day but that doesn't even count anymore because like the algorithm is crazy but um I think that like just the way that my mom raised me and the way that she is like she's insane and but she's like fully herself like she's always fully been herself like her humor um her style everything and my grandma's the same way as well so we have like a family full of like a lot of strong women and so growing up like that um I was usually pretty confident in myself and like able to express myself however I wanted within my household it wasn't the same at like school um because I went to predominantly white schools and I was in catholic school So once I switched to public school, I was like, oh yeah, we're trying everything. Um, And that was around the time I started DJing as well. Um, Yeah, it's also, it's not easy being yourself 24 seven because people look at you crazy a lot. People, a lot of people think I'm crazy, (laughs) but I I also think my mom's crazy and I think my grandma's crazy. So I guess we're all crazy, but um, I'd rather be crazy than boring for real. Like it's way better to be crazy than boring because where's boring ever going to get you nowhere so everybody should just be crazy (laughs) I'm curious to that like to what you were talking about about sort of like being yourself and like prioritizing like your own authenticity and like vision like you were saying at the beginning sort of some of the brands and like the places you've worked like I'm curious for you in terms of like 
any criteria that you have in terms of like evaluating whether something is right or wrong sort of for where you want to go and like the types of places that you want to show up like you don't have to name any names or anything like that but just sort of like red flags and green flags you look out for like when someone floats an opportunity by you if that makes sense I think a red flag is if I know that someone who was male has worked with them before and they got paid more than what they're offering me. Um, I don't appreciate that. Uh, I would like to go for like some equality or something or reparations, you should pay me more. <laughs> but um, there's that. And also just anything that has any history of like being anti-Black or is not like currently working on bettering that and being more inclusive, also size inclusivity. And like, I just, there's some brands that are just like really corny um, in terms of like aesthetic and product and like just things that aren't like quality. I'm also not super into, what was the other part of the question? Sorry. Oh, sorry, it was red flags, <laughs> red flags and green flags. So like positive things that make you want to do a project mm -hmm. or something like that, an event. Mm -hmm. um, I think positive things are when they're like, really excited to work with me or like if a brand um has produced like really quality work or is like always working with like poc beginner brands like or like like brands that are starting up like i'm i wouldn't be afraid to work with them or anything like it's just all about like if the brand really has like passion or like a message or sometimes if the, if the stuff just looks cool it looks cool <laughs> Yeah. They just have a good vibe. They have a good vibe. No, totally. I mean, I'm curious to your point as well, like what you were saying at the beginning of, you know, knowing that, you know, a friend of yours or someone who you know who's a guy has gotten paid more and sort of looking at the track record of different brands. Um, because one thing we talk about a lot is sort of like how people like our age, or like sort of Gen Z and younger, are a lot more open about things like pay transparency, bad experiences with brands, good experiences with brands, but that that this sort of like network of influencers that's like maybe a little bit younger than like the OG IG influencers mm -hmm. um it's a little bit less inclined to like I don't know like mince words or like actually have conversations amongst themselves about rates and things like that so I'm mm -hmm. curious like do you have you found sort of like a good community do you feel like sort of among the music community that like people are open about discussing those things or just like what has your experience been I guess on that side um, I feel that my experience has been different when I'm interacting with people that are around my age, like around like 22, like 19 to like, well, I don't have any 19 year old friends, uh, like 21 to like 25. They're a lot, lot more open about it because we're all just still coming up. Like if I'm talking to someone who's 30 about it, one, I'm not really comfortable sharing my pay with them, especially if they're like male because I already know that they're getting paid more than me most of the time. Um, but when I find out when I like, I'll be like, okay, well, what did you, what did you get for that? And I'll be like, oh, like, mm, let's say it's, it was like 1K, but then I know that I got like 3K. I'm like, oh, ha ha. <laughs> so, <it's me. laughs> um, so that feels nice sometimes, but yeah, people older generally seem to ask me more versus it being like a discussion like they're more like nosy about how much I make um and 
I usually just don't discuss it with them, but I feel more open talking to people that are my age about like, yeah, like that's not a good rate or like, that's a great rate. That's a good one. You should do that. Or um, you should ask for more. Like, I don't think that that's really worth your time kind of thing. So yeah, I've been hanging around people my age a lot more lately. So the past couple months of my life and uh, it's freaking amazing because we all understand each other. <laughs> like, It's great. I'm, can you walk us through the process of like how a brand approaches you? Do they give you a brief of like what they want to hear at their event or party or whatever? Or are you just like, I'm only taking, you know, carte blanche? Like, how does it work? And do you take requests? Sorry. <laughs> I thought you had a request like ready to go, Eli. That, that. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, requests, yeah, I do. Normally, no. When it's like a corporate gig or like a fashion gig, I'm like, yeah, well, I have to listen to you guys. But when, like, because they're like the client. But when I'm just like at the club and somebody like drunkenly comes up to me, I'm like, okay, like, what song is it though? Yeah, you know, when they pull their phone up, they do. I wish they would do that so I wouldn't have to talk (laughs) to them and smell their stinky breath. Um, That's way better. But yeah, if it's, if um, I, I like, I really like to say no now and I like to say yes to things, but I love to say no when I don't want to do something because I'm, I'm so polite about it. But if the song's trash respectfully, I'm just going to be like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, or like, wait, give wait, us some I'll of the songs it, like, that people like, ask. I'm dying now. Like when um, does, what's a no Ghani song? <laughs> a no would definitely be like. Dude, it's hard because I love a lot of corny, bad songs, not going to lie. One example might be if somebody's like, can you play like some like house music? And I'm in the middle of like a like bashment, like dance hall set going crazy. And I'm like, dude, I love house music, but just like read the room. Like, oh, somebody asked me to play Taylor Swift once and she does have like I heard her in the club the other day. I guess somebody asked my friend to play taylor swift and he was like yeah totally so i heard it and i was like this is lit so maybe next time someone requests taylor swift i should just say yes but it'll be it'll always be at the wrong time though like Mm -hmm. i'm it's like it's so energetically black in here right now and you're like yeah play like country music like no bro not right now (laughs) did you grow up with dance hall or how did you kind of discover more of that like was it trips to Jamaica? Was it like listening session? Like, how did it kind of? All of the above. So my dad is Jamaican and my mom is native and white. But growing up, she was always around a lot of Jamaicans. So um, she knows a lot about the culture. And uh, I'm, I was raised in a single parent household. I s- still saw my dad and stuff. Like, that's, that's my guy. I love that guy. But um, yeah, so if it was like we were on a road trip or like music was always playing. Like it was never not playing unless we were like watching TV or something, or I was in my own room playing my own music and she's in her own room playing her own music. Um, but like cleaning the house, like it, we'd always be playing reggae or like the long dr- the drives reggae. Um, the first time I went to Jamaica, I was like 15, 16. I went like two or three years in a row with my mom and my brother. Who is my half? I have five half siblings, um, but they're all Jamaican <laughs> too. <laughs> uh, 
yeah so I found like a lot of new music through going to like the dance hall parties out there not gonna lie I didn't love the experience but that's because I do have social anxiety and I was drinking at the time but my mom didn't know about it yet so I couldn't drink in front of her and like we'd be there we'd go at like 1 a.m and be there until like 6 a.m and I'm just like here with my mom she's faded my brother's faded and I'm just sober little 16 year old girl like ah. <laughs> but it was like a lot of things to see that shit is crazy it's amazing <laughs> um okay we have a special segment that we have for you to kind of talk <laughs> through a couple of different things we're seeing happening in the news i'm going to kick it over to eli but um cool thanks for that trey uh <laughs> so basically how this is going to work is i'm going to run down well actually i will go first and read a headline maybe a little bit of background just so you get the lay of the land and then from there you will respond with a few different options there are six of them is this news or is this news still processing sent to the group chat who did this stop scrolling or open your wallet and i can re-up those after i read the headline because i know damn well i'm going to forget all of them as well um cool so i will kick things off and then hand it over to trey and clara so the first one orcas have sunk three boats in europe and appear to be teaching others to do the same but why and just a quick blurb because i feel like this one needs a bit of context so it's believed that a female orca named White Gladys experienced a, quote, critical moment of agony, such as getting tangled in fishing gear, which turned her against boats. And she is now teaching other orcas to do the same. What say you? Oh, I think that's a sleigh. And I think, was it news or news? Is that what you said? Yeah, so you, it could be, is this news? Still this processing, news? sent to the group chat. Who did this? Stop scrolling and open your wallet. Although I think that's a sleigh could be added to that as well. You should add that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. We'll leave it at that then. Girl power. <laughs> Wait, and I dropped them in the chat just in case we need a refresher. But... Clara, that's where you come in with your pun because I don't want to steal steal the joke. But... Oh, you can steal it. My pun was orchestrated, which makes more sense. Wow. Yeah, it makes more sense when you read it. Wow. Yes, yes. I was excited about that. It, no, that, that is a great pun. <laughs> I wish I thought of it. You can have it too, you know, like sharing the puns. Yeah, yeah can, you use it, can you I'm use it in a day. transition, like a track transition? <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. All right, Trey, over to you. Um, so because people in Sweden just do not care about news, a Swedish newspaper is having AI wrap its articles in an attempt to get young people interested in the news. What say you? Who did this and stop scrolling? Because I'm Very like, good. I hate like AI and like people just <laughs> fake making things. I hate Yeah. <laughs> Do they come for like DJ stuff much or like are they kind of Oh yeah, they're starting to come for it, man. Yeah. Oh man. Songwriting which is like, I'm trying to get into that. Like I do that, but like I not professionally obviously yet, but everything that I want to do, they're coming for even like jewelry making, which my sister does. They're coming for all of us. Oh my God. That's very scary. All right. Yeah. Over to you, Clara. Well, now they might be coming for pets, but basically my, 
My one is about, there's been two articles this week, one talking about, I'm sure you've seen this like on trips to New York and probably other cities, but with all the outdoor dining that has gone up in the past few years, more and more dogs are being allowed in different restaurants. And some people are more happy about that than others. And this one guy in the UK wrote an opinion piece this week about how people that have dogs and take them out, you know, to restaurants should be taxed, like in a similar way that people like cigarettes and other stuff has like a sin tax associated with it to basically de-incentivize, I guess, like being really psycho about taking your pet out everywhere with you. So curious your thoughts on dog taxes, basically. He should open his wallet to everybody that he disrespected by saying that because I love my dog. <laughs> Way to turn it around. Reparations. I need reparations for that because that is so mean. If I could take my dog everywhere and smoke cigarettes at restaurants, I would do it all. Honestly, I think I you speak that. for yeah. a large you speak for a large majority of, of folk. I uh, I've got all uh, these folk. Yeah. <laughs> I got your back, yeah. guys. Thank you. Well, actually, <laughs> thank you. What is this in the independent Samuel Fishwick? That's a British name if I've ever heard of one. Yeah. Samuel, <laughs> open your wallet. Yeah, yeah. AI generated for sure. <laughs> Not <laughs> NPC. He kind of so, looks like an AI generated Mr. Beast. Oh God. oh, God. The comedy central roast of Florence Fishback. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So before we close out, um, I just am curious what's next for you? I'm wanting to know where you're heading this summer what events are you what where can we see you where can we find you what is happening next for Ghani Garko I'm just I'm just free balling it for real like I'm only 22 once it's like I'm hitting the YOLO button so hard this year because everything that I wanted to do I'm not waiting anymore I'm getting it done and it's happening and YOLO that's our mantra too here at day one <laughs> FM <laughs> amazing we love to hear it <laughs> Cool. Well, we learned about when it's right to uh, do DJ requests and your thoughts on a pet tax. So thank you so much for coming on the pod today, Ghani. Really appreciate it. Real quick, where can our listeners find you on social, Spotify, wherever? On SoundCloud, it's Ghani Garko. On Instagram, it's Ghani Garko. On Twitter, it's not Ghani, but only look at my Twitter if you're ready to giggle and you're non-judgmental on Spotify, I think it's also just Ghani Garko. And I am going to be releasing more playlists on there. I have one titled Humble Abode, which I'm going to also follow by like a very small like interview series. Um, yeah, there's that. And then also with SoundCloud, I'm going to be dropping new mixes because my old ones are not reflective of how much better I became. They are not reflective. I just have to put this out there. They're not reflective. I'm much better. So I'm dropping a dance hall mix before Caravana with um, Naked Beauty Bar. Cool. Well, thanks so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for all of your guys' time. Thanks for listening in. Be sure to check out more on d1a.com forward slash perspectives and sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter to get the latest trends and insights directly to your mailbox. 